Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. What is the point of endodontic therapy? In the end, the point of that is to keep that tooth in that patient's mouth for the long term. So the way you restore it after you finish the root canal therapy is extremely important. And it's particularly important how you restore it straight after the endodontic therapy is done. Dr. Patrick Coldwell shares this information with us today and he talks about the risks of temporizing endodontic teeth and fractures that can occur if it's not done well or if it's not restored promptly. Pat Coldwell is an endodontist in Queensland and he runs the EndoSpot Skills School, an online education platform to help you level up your endodontic game. And in an effort to up my own orthodontic game, we've got the OrthoEd segment at the end of this podcast. In this one, I'm talking about my journey where I'm up to now. And next time, we're going to be talking about the diagnosis of me, my teeth, so that I can get alignment and we can learn through the process of going through the OrthoEd Mini Masters. That's at the end of this podcast. In this episode, we talk about the endo-restorative interface. The most important part of endo is really restoring it properly for the long term. And we begin this interview talking about how he used to temporize teeth and what the shortcomings of that were. When I first graduated from endodontics, the typical process for us was to finish the root canal, obturate the canals, and then put cotton wool and cavet and maybe GIC in the tooth and send the patient away. And there were certainly cases, and I had cases, where that tooth would then fracture um, sometimes, sometimes within the next week or so, uh, and the tooth was lost, essentially. And over time, I guess I um, started seeing what some other endodontists were doing and was exposed to some other endodontists and I guess guys like Gary Carr and John Cardamy were leaders in this field um, from overseas anyway and they really started talking about how important it was to restore these teeth fairly quickly Um, and I know that in certain places around the world like New Zealand and I think Melbourne in particular they have been doing this for a long time it's not something I was exposed to Um, during post-grad to any great extent. But the risks of leaving a tooth with a temporary restoration after you do your root canal treatment uh, are just enormous. There's plenty of epidemiological studies to show that if the tooth is restored, at least with a post and core, straight away, um, or not a post necessarily, but a a core, a permanent restoration, it has a a greater chance of surviving longer term. And in fact, some of the studies, if you look at all the factors that are looked at, all these endodontic things like, you know, what concentration of sodium hypochlorite was used and what size the apical prep is and whether it was short or long or, you know, GP extruded out the apex, and all of that maybe matters, but you know what matters is whether it gets restored straight away in terms of the, the both the short and the long-term outcome. And so that simple thing, making sure it's restored, um, is probably the most simple thing you can do to improve your, your outcome. Um, and it means you don't have a temporary filling that's going to fail and leak. Um, it means if they don't get the crown done like they're supposed to, which we see all the time, 
at least they've got a permanent restoration in there that's going to help support the tooth. It's, it's going to be far less likely to fracture. So, you know, I think that is, um, in simple terms, just uh, it's, it's the low-hanging fruit when it comes to improving your success rates. Mm-hmm. That's um, it, it makes so much sense. And it, it's obviously the paradigm shift uh, recently. Do you, as an endodontist, do you want to place the core? Oh, I'd make far more money if I didn't place the core. Um, and if you, if you didn't? If I didn't, did yeah, yeah. We don't, in terms of time spent placing cores, it's, um, it's, it's far less productive than doing root canal treatment. But um, I want to provide the best possible outcome for the patient uh, and I want to be proud of the, the work that I do and uh, where the best time to place that restoration is immediately after obturation. Um, and, look, we, we're good at it too. You know, we, we get pretty good at placing these um, core restorations and even, you know, full coverage restorations as well. Uh, we're good at managing deep margins. We've got the tooth isolated. We're, we're good at gingival management as well. In, in those cases where there's some subgingival margins. And so, um, you know, it, it just it, it makes 100% sense. It really does, doesn't it? I'm, I'm surprised it's not just a sugar, uh, what's the word, um, cream on the top, so to speak, if you're just placing that straight after finishing your um, obturation. But it also it does make sense if you do it, and I, I personally I find that easier as well. Honestly, um, it takes longer often to place the core than to obturate the tooth. To, to obturate, yeah. all right. Well, so. you and I are very different people. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what, what about, so you mentioned before, you know, the, the tooth fractures after obturation because it's just got this tampon with some cotton wool and you can imagine how fracture uh, how weak that is yeah. what about ortho bands well ortho bands are a great way to uh, help prevent that too you know so i think i think you know again this comes right back to um, something we were talking about in one of the other podcasts in terms of thinking of beginning with the end in mind you know working out how you're going to do that final restoration and that should affect how you isolate the tooth and also temporize the tooth because if you're going to be placing a full coverage, say, composite restoration, um, then it makes sense when you do your access to actually prep the tooth for a full coverage restoration because you're taking it out of occlusion, you're going to force yourself to temporise with uh, GIC or something over the top of the tooth to protect it um, and you're going to set yourself up for that for that final restoration. If you're, uh, you know it's going to be a while or you're not sure or you um, don't want to spend the time doing a full coverage temporary, then placing an ortho band is another way to go that's going to help protect the tooth and, and that gives you a little bit of freedom. But, uh, you know, in that case, you're, you're obviously going to be committing most of the time to a, a, an indirect restoration, a crown or something like that. Um, but it's all, you know, that can be beneficial as well because you can use the ortho band as a matrix to restore the, the tooth or to, to put the core in as well. So it really comes down to, before you even touch that tooth, just visualising the end result and then thinking through what steps you're going to take in terms of how you're going to access the, the pulp, how you're going to temporise it, um, and how you're going to restore it finally because that will uh, dictate how you isolate and the first steps that you take in the, in the whole procedure. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, you said beginning with the end in mind. So obviously, the restoration we choose for the final restoration <laughs> matters here. But what do you do you recommend? Ortho band or a full coverage temporary? Do you think they're equivalent, or is there a significant benefit? Well, to uh, are they equivalent? Point of view? Yeah, I I I think there's definitely upsides and downsides with both of those. Uh, putting an ortho band on is often faster but not always um you putting an ortho band on you will generally have a much worse soft tissue response because you can't clean around them very well a lot of the time you know depending on how deep the band has to sit um and you know then that means when you do go to place the core restoration, if you've got an ortho band on there that's sitting down near the gingival margin and isn't fitting very well you'll have inflamed gingiva everywhere and you're trying to place maybe a composite restoration with inflamed gingiva everywhere. So it can then become far less efficient if you're unable to place that restoration at that point or you place a restoration with poor isolation. Um, Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I guess uh, probably an orthodontic band is, is going to protect the tooth the best, um, but a well-placed um, GIC dome or, or full coverage restoration will will do the job as well. But in that case, you need to be fairly aggressive with your occlusal reduction so that you've got a decent thickness of GIC. Um, but, and that, again, comes down to planning for your final restoration, thinking about how much occlusal reduction you're going to need to do for your crown or your onlay or your um, full coverage amalgam or composite restoration and just doing that occlusal reduction right at the start so that... Um, you're you're improving your vision and access and and everything that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. That comes back to that podcast we did talking about the um, you know removing the restoration, the whole restoration mm-hmm. improves your vision. That's so does right. the occlusal reduction. Yes, you're doing yeah, it. that's right. Um, and speaking of full coverage, I've seen a few of your full coverage amalgams. They look better than most gold crowns. Yeah, so, <laughs> I don't um, know about that. <laughs> a, you, you must have fun. You must have fun doing those. Um, what about um, the what is your recommendation for you know procedure for the core? Is there any tips to that, or is it really just getting a good seal with a, a composite or an amalgam? Or what's your tips there? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the um, the bigger the core, the the more strength you want in it, ideally. So a really large core, I, I still think amalgam is better, and you're not going to get uh, everyone agreeing on that for sure. Um, probably the cases that we post that have amalgam are the ones that generate the the widest range of responses um the the smaller the the core restoration the less it matters in terms of the strength of the material um i tend to place composite directly down into the into the access and over the gp and that is a little bit based on uh, the people that taught me to do it it's a little bit more american so um in australia uh, there's a lot more GIC or, or um, Duralon and, and things like that recommended to go over the GP, but I tend to bond directly in there. There's a little bit, little bit of sort of weak um, benchtop data that that maybe shows if you put composite all the way down there, then the whole unit, the tooth unit, is is a bit stronger. And seeing as the focus is on trying to prevent the tooth fracturing, then uh, that's what I prefer to do. Um, and I find the workflow 
better and faster as well because we've obturated, we've got, you know, our matrix there in place and then we're using Clorhex, we're bonding and then we're filling up the whole restoration with a, a dual-cured composite a lot of the time um, and then letting that sit for a few minutes before we, we cure it and, and get on with it. So I do find the workflow a little bit better for that um, and it's worked, you know, well for me so far. Um, we do tend to use posts uh, a little bit more uh, than others sometimes. So, um, you know, the the traditional thinking is that posts weaken teeth because you're drilling too structure away and that, that stands, absolutely. Um, but in situations where there is already room for a post, we think that probably putting a post in there will leave the tooth, the whole tooth unit and restoration stronger than if you just have GP in the in the canal and then whatever composite or amalgam or GIC in the pulp chamber. So uh, we do that a little bit, but there's got to be room for the post. We're not talking about removing root structure in order to put a post in there. We're just talking about passively fitting posts in those situations. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I was going to definitely ask about posts, a contentious issue, mm. depending, you, you know, a hundred different opinions yep. for a hundred dentists. Um, yep. What type of posts do you tend to lean towards? Is there any, you know, any advice there? Uh, well, I, I try to find the, the smaller posts that I can find. And if, I think if you're actually relying on the post to hold the restoration in or if you're relying on the post to prevent snap-off failures, so the, the, the crown breaking off, I think then you should be tending towards a metal post of, of some type and that's probably going to be stainless steel or, you know, the, the if you need more strength than a cast post when it comes down to it. Um, Fibre posts are great. They're, um, they can be skinny. They can, uh, you know, they have this um, flexure that matches or approximates dentine. And the concept was that that was going to be good because it would flex with the tooth. Uh, but in reality, what it probably means is that as it flexes, the post can break um, or it debonds from the, the, the tooth itself. So you can actually lose the bond there. And, it, you know, the, the actual bonding of the fibre post down in the root canal is not that great. So a lot of the retention you're getting from those posts is... Um, is simply because of, of friction, you know, mechanical interlocking. So I think fibre posts are really the most used in situations where there is still some tooth structure coronally. So in um, in our endospot group, uh, we just posted two cases. One was a decoronated premolar that the patient really wanted to, to hold on to. And in that case, we put two metal posts in there and we sacrificed a little bit of root dentine in order to get the two metal posts in there to build the tooth up. Um, and the second case was a, a premolar, so same tooth, that still had the mesial and a bit of the buccal and, and palatal walls there. And in that case, there was it had been accessed already and there was room for, for fibre posts in there. So we put fibre in there. And the fibre posts are really just helping support that tooth rather than really functioning as something that's going to prevent the whole crown breaking off um, or, or retain the core. I know that... Um, Dentine bonding still does work down in those canals because I had a case a few years ago where 
uh, completely my fault, but um, I was working with a new DA and when we got the, the bond out for the composite, um, I sort of told her to use the wrong bonding agent. And so <laughs> there was no um, dual cure component added to the to the bonding agent no no it was only it was only the um the the activator that was used right so there was no bonding actually and i put fiber posts in and, and cores in two premolars and they were solid so they were in there we cured them they're all solid and then when i realized uh we said we actually had to get the patient back and we took the posts out and as I was drilling that composite out, it was just falling off. It was literally just falling off. You know, there was nothing actually holding it to the tooth. And, you know, I talked I talked about the case with someone and we we're trying to rationalise it. Well, it's still, you know, it's still mechanically locked in there. But for sure, as soon as those teeth were loaded, it was, it was going to fail. So it definitely works to some extent anyway, down in the root canals. I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor and ask a question. But how do you make the most out of your CPD? I think the first step is to make sure you've chosen the right CPD. And how do you know that unless you've seen it all? CPDjunkie.com.au is made so that all of the dental CPD in Australia and New Zealand is in the one place. We've got all of the webinars, all of the live courses coming up on the website, easy to find and easy to filter. And the second step, well, it's all in the free ebook on their website, cpdjunkie.com.au, the home of Australian dental CPD. Thank you for supporting dental students and graduates, and thank you for supporting the Dental Head Start podcast. I like your, it's a more nuanced way of thinking about posts. You know, some people love them and some people hate them and, and it's all or nothing and it's, but it makes so much more sense to be talking about it from a, you know, metal based if you're really trying to support the tooth um, and then fiber based if you're actually just, you're just adding something to it, but it's not really relying on that post. That's a really well put um, answer. I mean, obviously, there's aesthetic, you know, considerations as well. Um, you know, in some cases, if you, if for example, a front tooth, and you you're going to um, use an Emax crown or something like that, um, you you might want to avoid a big, thick metal post in that situation. And you can try and you know put opaque over the top of them and that sort of thing. But um, you know, those those things matter as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, obviously, it, as you said at the start, um, the, it's the most crucial part really of endo is the restoration at the end that actually keeps it there and keeps it going. Is there, is there anything else you want to add to that that we need to think about when we're restoring and when we're thinking about our root canal treated teeth? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, it, for almost every posterior tooth, full cuspal coverage is, is really quite important. So that's, you know, one of the other things that, that has a very strong impact on the, the longevity of these teeth. Um, and it all comes down to the amount of forces and the directions of forces on the tooth. So if you have a tooth that's unopposed and you root fill it, then you can put in a, an MO restoration and it will probably be fine. But if that tooth is taking any sort of load, then it's going to be significantly weaker. And full coverage restoration uh, will help return some of that strength at least or protect the rest of the tooth. But we also need to look at the design of those full coverage restorations. So when you get, when you have a crown made in the lab, um, often your technician isn't going to know this is a root-filled tooth and they don't know the level of force that the patient is going to put on the tooth. And so 
if a tooth is under uh, a root-filled tooth is under occlusal load and you have lateral forces, which is what happens when you have very steep cuspal inclines, which is what most technicians will put into your crowns if you don't tell them otherwise, they'll reproduce the, the anatomy of the tooth, right? Make it look mm -hmm. realistic. Oh, it's beautiful. But it's literally <laughs> the last thing you want on a root-filled molar or premolar is a tooth with steep cuspal inclines. You want it to be nice and nice, like nice and flat, mm. like the mm. desert, just flat. <laughs> so, <laughs> no cuspal inclines, a centric stop in the middle of the tooth, and then no lateral contacts. You know, we, I mean, bearing in mind all the other occlusal considerations. So yeah, you know, there, there's that, um, and obviously reducing forces through splints and things like that, especially in in bruxes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point as well. That last thing about the splints. I had a patient just today, um, two cracked teeth over the last six months, um, and both, yeah, really, it's a difficult situation. And the the night guard finally get her into a night guard. Um, one of the cracked teeth didn't need endo, and it's settled down completely. It's just the pressure. It's just obviously causing huge things. Um, you make a really good point about cuspal inclines on crowns. Everyone out there, have a think about the crowns you see that are 50 plus years out. Mm. How many of them are like mm. vertical cusps? Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about that when you were saying it. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. They're all real flat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. And even, um, you know, in terms of the force on the teeth, if you've got a, a lone standing molar that's the last tooth in the arch, it's going to take a lot more force than if there's other teeth around it. And in that situation, maybe placing an implant in the in this space in front of it is actually going to be really beneficial for that, that root filled tooth at the back there. Um, and you know, that it just, it all comes down to forces on these teeth. When, if we're talking about restoration of these teeth, it, it just comes down to how much force they're under and how much restoration is needed to prevent that and the design of the restoration as well. Mm. It's actually one of the areas of dentistry I love the most, actually. I was initially interested in engineering and then in materials and then forces, and then this is where it kind of crosses over. So I think it's, it's fascinating. I think you raise a really good point there with root-treated tooth, standalone, and then you've got a space. If you're thinking just about one tooth in a mouth, you're not really treating the whole mouth. You're not really treating that tooth properly. You have to think about the whole picture. That's a really good point. Um, I want to thank you, Dr. Pat Colwell, for, for coming on, sharing your time, for, for teaching and doing what you do with Endospot and um, your education courses online. I, I really appreciate your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. No worries at all. Welcome to the OrthoEd segment, the journey to orthodontic enlightenment. I'm David Keir and I wanted to talk a little bit about my journey so far because obviously this is about my orthodontic enlightenment, my journey with learning orthodontics with OrthoEd through the Mini Masters and also my journey, journey of having orthodontics. Um, so when I was... 15 or 14 I think we, we went to the dentist and asked him a question about you know do I need orthodontics and um, he made the comment to say it was not a functional issue it's more of an aesthetic issue and something that was optional I could if I wanted to my sister did and as every 14 year old boy would say um, I said no I said <laughs> just save the money don't worry about it and my parents um, perhaps needed the money and we decided not to do it. And as I was going to be an engineer, it really didn't matter because teeth to me weren't important and didn't matter in that career. But then when my engineering career um, shifted into a dentistry career, I guess um, it became more front and center in my mind. And, and to be honest, it didn't really worry me very much until 
um, perhaps recently, um, looking at myself in videos, I, I can see how crooked my teeth are and how my differential wear because I'm a Bruxer um, is really prominent. So I realize I can fix that and why, why not learn the journey myself if I'm going to provide that for my patients. Like when I worked for an maxillofacial surgeon, I w- really wanted to get my wisdom teeth out to know the experience. And you can imagine what the experience was like, but um, I genuinely wanted to understand and uh, feel the same way in this. So I think the time has come for me to go through that process and line my teeth up. While the big part of this orthoed segment is about my journey in learning orthodontics, a part will be about my actual orthodontics. So we're going to go through diagnosis with Dr. Jeff Hall, and then we're going to go through the ClinCheck with Dr. Jeff Hall. We're going to be using Invisalign, um, clear aligners, something I provide for my patients. Um, and so I want to experience that process myself. Now, where I'm at with my orthodontic journey as a clinician is um, relatively new. I'm an Invisalign provider. Um, I have done a couple of cases, a handful of cases, um, and I have had good and challenging outcomes like everyone. Um, Never bad outcomes, but things I've learned very quickly that I hope I can share through these segments. I haven't done a lot of education in aligners, so I've done a fair bit of the aorta um, education, which um, is a real pleasure to um, listen to Dr. John Hagliasis and Dr. George Abdelmalik and what they have to teach because they really do teach a great foundation um, from an aligner perspective. Um, I've done some of the ACAS um, stuff and been to some of the conferences, but I've never done a long-form, deep dive into orthodontics what we really probably should do if we're going to provide significant amounts of orthodontics to our patients and that's where OrthoEd, the mini residency comes in for me and that's what i will be going through over the next year or more and before i committed to this i did do the aligners course module four with dr jeff hall and dr martin poon and it was it was a really good course like in that one two-day um, course i picked up so many little bits and pieces just about aligner therapy not so much about the diagnosis or the functional or the um, mechanical mechanisms of orthodontics but just aligners themselves and that's something that if you provide aligners i recommend you do we learn about the um the importance of ipr and the accuracy of that we talked about the bootstrap technique if your laterals falling behind we talked about attachments the sash attachment i'd never heard of that or where to place attachments on a tooth relative to the rotation you're trying to get we talked about tips for the patients which are some tips that i'm gonna um, use when i have orthodontics And we talked about the workflow, which is something that's really important. If you get the workflow right, then it can be a profitable endeavor. And what I've learned in my minimal time doing orthodontics is that it's not super profitable if you're doing 100% of it yourself and taking a lot of time. Um, I'm doing all those things right now. I do it all myself and take a lot of time because I'm trying to learn, but I can earn a lot more money doing crown and bridge and even just quadrant dentistry. So workflow and staff is critical. It's a key part of all of this. So basically, my journey so far is that I'm extremely early in my orthodontic understanding and I'm desperate to learn more and that's what I want to do and that's what I want to go through with this. I hope that this journey helps you in your orthodontic journey and OrthoEd are partnering with Dental Head Start to provide anyone who's less than five years out 10% off the course. So if you want to learn more about OrthoEd, or make the most of that exclusive deal, check out the show notes, dentalheadstart.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. 
I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.